You're currently listening to Onyx and the world of oil derivatives. I'd like to take this opportunity to introduce you to Onyx Insight, a reporting and analysis service that focuses particularly on the oil swaps market. The service comes in a form of daily WhatsApp updates, trading window reviews, monthly reports, and liquidity and volatility assessments. All our information is derived directly from our trading floor of Onyx Commodities, the number one liquidity provider of oil swaps globally. There's no service like ours, providing expert analysis across the barrel and reporting in real time from those with real skin in the game. To find out more information and sign up to our free trial, visit our website at www.onyxcapitaladvisory.com or Google Onyx Advisory Insight. Also, please be sure to check out our LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to another podcast with Onyx Insight. So as always, I'm just going to remind you guys that Onyx Insight is a subscription service that provides analysis and reporting day-to-day basis directly to your WhatsApp or your text or email, whatever you prefer, uh, providing information directly from the trading floor from Onyx Commodities, the largest liquidity provider of oil swaps. With market making at our core, you're getting information directly from them about what's going on how flows, events, and physical are impacting the derivative market live. Uh, We couple that with trade ideas, with ad hoc analysis, and there's really no service like that. There's nothing that exists. We don't say that with a kind of, you know, just just saying it, it's it's evidential. There is nothing out there like ours at this stage. And given how important the swaps market has been and continues to be for physical, and actually the futures pricing is probably the main thing that's misunderstood generically, it is, a, it is a product that you can't really go about if you're trading the oil market. So, to get right into it, um, today I'm going to speak about um, speculative bubbles. So, I'm Greg Newman, I'm the CEO of Onyx Capital Group, um, but I have seven years of trading oil swaps. I was uh, a crude market maker trading predominantly data brand, the North Sea market, um, and I still, of course, oversee what's going on now. Uh, you will hear from a range of uh, traders, a range of different experiences um, and different thoughts. So this podcast is essentially just all about us giving our kind of, you know, oversight, our opinion, our views. Um, so speculative bubbles, I think it's an interesting one because I definitely don't think it's uh, widely understood that, um, you know, we're aware of speculative bubbles kind of... Uh, Pretty much everyone, especially with something like Bitcoin uh, happening so recently, um, but we're going to talk about it in the context specifically of oil swaps and why this market is so susceptible to them, and they're kind of going along quite frequently throughout the year in different products, and it's about identifying them and making sure either you stay out of them or, or essentially profit from them, and of course the dangers of of um, speculative bubbles when they do occur. So to begin with, I think it's best to you know, define a speculative bubble. So the way I'm going to define it is one-way flow. Uh, one-way flow doesn't have to be just buying, although it does tend to be. Uh, it can be selling also, but ultimately it's one-way flow that has been sourced from you know an early adopted hypothesis. So again, Bitcoin's a great example because so many of us have heard of it and witnessed the kind of 
or the the mania around it um which hasn't gone by the way even despite a lot of people being burnt and losing their savings on it uh i read this morning on linkedin someone saying if you bought gold at a hundred dollars sorry with a hundred dollars uh 10 years ago you would have made 400 dollars or something like that and if you bought bitcoin five years ago you'd be up 16 million with the same hundred hundred dollars and you know that's really not helpful because the past is no prediction of the future and that's exactly the type of statement that leads to these kind of speculative bubbles um, so you know whoever wrote that's really not helpful and um you know it's probably not long until you lose money so that's the first thing an early adopted hypothesis that starts to gain traction starts to gain enthusiasm get media attention on the largest scale of speculative bubbles um and then greed and when you get to that stage we've got a situation where firstly we have you know the market forces counterparts kind of forming a herd or crowd we like to call it um that have just completely overwhelmed the sellers and it gets to the point where the market's starting to price in a value for the underlying that is completely inflated or distorted away from the actual underlying physical value um which which of course uh, is never good um but at this point it's great to use it at the kind of crowd or herd as a, as the analogy because the market begins to behave really irrationally at this point so you, you can imagine an overinflated uh, price relative to the underlying and an overwhelmed market by a number of participants who are just buying on any number of reasons that might have nothing to do with the underlying that the market is then moving relative to speculative open interest people who have bought and sold on the back of just spec um spec reasons so therefore if that's the only reason they bought then you have a situation where the market is incredibly susceptible to psychological bias um and there's no balance in the market to kind of even this out there's only one way flow so you can imagine the market is hugely sensitive to any anything that happens and it can be spooked very easily and, and just like we say this herd idea you know in the sahara desert buffaloes in a valley you know they get one buffalo gets whiff of uh, a predator he panics then suddenly you have a situation where they're all stumbling off uh, over each other to run away and buffaloes get killed trampled on and it's just you know complete mayhem and mania and that is the great analogy that we use for a, a market in a herd because that is exactly what happens and then when you're caught up on it there's really really nothing worse and and you are fallible to psychological bias of which we'll go into um but i think uh it's very interesting because um i actually read a book um that was recommended to me years ago about uh what i learned losing a million dollars and uh, in it he talks about the five stages of grief being uh well traders going through the five stages of grief so many times throughout the day when they're day trading or, or you know and other types of trading but ultimately it's so interesting because you're much more susceptible to those types of biases or those stages of grief when you're in speculative bubble so at first you deny it nah it's fine it's just this happened blah 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 then you're bargaining okay well if it goes back up you know a little bit then I'll sell out and um you know if that happens I promise never to do it again <laughs> to the trader gods whatever it is then you have anger you know this damn market doesn't understand it's so stupid there's so many stupid people out there and then you've got depression you know oh gosh i just need to quit my job this is awful etc etc and then finally you accept it so getting from the first to the fifth 
as quickly as you can will be you know something that takes a lot of training to do because we are very fallible to psychological bias naturally as humans anyway but um, being in a spectre bubble it can be very very dangerous so um, I think the key thing to point out with um, spectre bubbles is that um, we haven't even talked about oil yet but you know they are so widespread uh, there's always key markers and this is what the big short film and book is all about you know there's a number of individuals who could see uh, what was going going on the distortion between the debt and um, mortgage rates and it was just unsustained non sustainable and ultimately um, there was enough markers and predictability that allowed uh, some of these traders to profit from it and it's, it's no different in oil there's key markers and there's typical price action more importantly that we can that can be modeled that can be observed that you know happens all the time it's, it's very very interesting and we'll, we'll get into examples of what those are have been and what we think are currently in existence as well so yeah why are oil swaps of the derivatives so susceptible in particular um, well I say that I believe that because you know although it happens a lot in futures also I think it's really exaggerated in the swaps market because the swaps market was you know designed for hedging right it's designed for quite niche participants to hedge you know niche products and granularity it's not really for speculating on the price of oil it's for it's for hedging but as the market has developed especially over the last five to ten years it's become more and more liquid and and more and more granularity in the contracts that have allowed for speculation to come in and what have, what's happened is Whereas futures have a huge number of participants and varying participants, you know, financial institutions, we have pension funds, hedge funds, indexes, and that's not even before we get to the physical end users, the physical producers, but then the physical trade houses who just trade, you know, from a respective point of view, the market makers, and then proprietary houses. So there's all these different types of flows, different types of decision makers who come up with decisions in different ways, algorithms, systematic trading. So the market tends to behave, you know, and I wouldn't say a balance, but in so many different ways that it's very hard to just unilaterally predict why the market or, or to understand why the market's moving the way it is. However, with swaps, we have a situation where the first thing is the open interest that does exist today, which is you know considerably higher um, in the last five years in particular and growing every year. That open interest is held by a relatively small number of individuals and the number of contracts that are traded and speculated on are many, many, many times the available physical oil. So that's the first thing. So of course, as I said about this whole idea of being overinflated relative to the actual underlying uh, price of the physical oil, we get to a situation that's the speculative market is driving the physical price even at some point because the physical guys are referencing the derivatives. And we're gonna talk about that in another podcast about this concept of the derivatives pushing the physical around and the concept of purchasing power which kind of cements that and it's a really interesting topic but we'll, we'll get there just to stay on topic um the second thing uh well another thing that's uh specific to oil swaps is um ultimately it's an over-the-counter traded uh contract at the moment there are no algorithms uh, there are no systematic trading really that exists so that the the traders are trade houses, majors, as I say, market makers, um, and that's it. So ultimately, liquidity has improved greatly, 
but it can be very one-sided if, if one particular trader or major that has particular influence over the market if it gets out that person believes the market should be higher and is starting to buy then you have a fear effect or you have a just a, a herd effect where people are just joining in because that's what they believe drives the market or this herd mentality essentially and that happens quite frequently so it's over the counter so that means people speaking to each other that means if you need a price if you need a bid or need an offer you need to go to someone and actually have the conversation albeit yes via brokers but it can be directly and you get a sense of what people are thinking when you when you uh talk and when you communicate and uh that can lead to all kinds of um distortions because you know one example would be yes there are a lot of hedges in the market but they're still autonomous to some degree uh, depending on the you know the kind of company's risk profile but ultimately you come in in the morning and then there's been an explosion in Saudi Arabia whatever it's been then you know there's the buyers who are who, who've bought and there's the sellers who have sold but coming in the morning there might be sellers who, who need to sell on a hedging basis they're producers and they need to sell but actually they say well no why should I the oil price is clearly going to go up the, the swaps are clearly going to go up and we're just going to sell so um, if you want my price you're going to have to negotiate and then that and that's what leads to these kind of overextensions because there's there's the panic mentality that humans have and there's the kind of greed that the other side has and that leads to you know what what ends up happening and that's quite specific to OTC markets at the moment uh, finally we have um, the fact that swaps are interesting as well because the whole point again is to mimic the physical to allow you know airlines bunker users end users of any oil product to hedge to to lock in their cash flow so typically what happens is they'll choose a contract that they can negotiate from a physical perspective and they'll say, you know, I'll buy plus or minus a differential around the swap. But then they choose that benchmark swap price to negotiate the physical around because they know they can then go in and hedge the swap. So um, that being the case, uh, what tends to happen is a lot of hedges and a lot of trade houses and uh, traders who, who do position and swaps, their intention is always to let that swap price out. So they're not intending to reverse or, or get out of the trade. They, they're happy with it to price out. And ultimately, if it's financially settled contract, then when it prices out, they just settle the contract financially with whoever was on the other side. They don't need to get out of the contract. And whilst that might may may or may not be obvious to people, you can understand the, the kind of problems that can come from that because if there's literally no way out and there's no reason why anyone would want to let someone out, um, because the intention was always to price this out, then if you're caught short or caught long, depending on which side the market's moving, there could be a situation where you just cannot get a price, particularly if you trade very close to the when the contract is pricing. So if you're trading October contract and it's September 31st, September 30th, then um, of course you better be sure that you know what's going to happen with the physical etc because next week it's going to start pricing out and, and you're going to struggle if the market moves violently to get any price whatsoever so that's another key thing so in the markets in particular uh oil markets or swaps or futures uh we've had so many examples over the years but you know we'll keep it recent and um just to emphasize the point that you know it does happen on futures as well because they still have a situation where even though we have a large number of Participants, there's still a lack of understanding about the granularity under in, on the physical oil, and so when the physical oil ultimately prices the financial futures, there can be um, bubble formation and kind of a misunderstood or overextended 
market um, that runs into trouble when it starts to suddenly align to physical. So a good example of that was last year, uh, the first half of 2018. You had a situation where um, a lot of majors, trade houses, and we're talking you know, quite sophisticated traders with huge balance sheets, huge ability to speculate, um, they positioned long on the WTI versus Brent uh, swap contract or, or futures contract, sorry, um, with the kind of view that the price was going to go from around minus 10 to, I assume, minus 2 or kind of flat. They thought it would be a, a kind of aligning of the two crudes. Um, and then the key point here is that it wasn't a typical bubble because it wasn't actually a situation where the people who got who were in trouble were Joe Bloggs. This was you know big trade houses, and there's quite a few of them these days, uh, and you know quite a few majors as well. And there's a very high percentage of these guys who probably altogether dictate around you know I'd say eighty to eighty five percent of total open interest in the in in the kind of th- these types of contracts like the WTI Brent. So. They all positioned long, or a large percentage of them positioned long, and what ended up happening was um, the differential was kind of priced to uh, ultimately was dictated quite a bit by the economics from getting oil out of Cushing, Oklahoma, uh, to regions around US or exported these days, whatever it is, um, and because of the shale oil production increases and uh, essentially the the pipelines and infrastructure that was being built to take the oil away from the shale oil fields which wasn't doing its job or wasn't wasn't being built quick enough and so all the excess oil went to WTI and they just couldn't get the oil out quick enough or or kind of substantially enough to to um, justify high WTI versus Brent prices and so it was one of those situations where, yes, to begin with, it was a speculative position. Uh, then there was a lot of people who bought in, and then there was a lot of hysteria because actually the price did go up quite a bit. And then we reached the kind of top of this bubble where actually all of a sudden people start to realise the physical is really weighing on this contract, and there's a lot of oversupply. And but then at that point, if you've done a lot of buying and you've exhausted all the sellers, and there's only buyers behind you. Uh, and actually, no, they've exhausted their buying. Then, when you want to exit, who's there to buy? So, uh, you're you're going to run into trouble. And of course, that is what happened. And when you have such big participants uh, participating in this trade, they're you know so enormous. Who could possibly take the other side? So, if you look at the graph, um, the WTI brand, I mean, you can just see as clear as day. Not much happened with physical in terms of, yes, it was oversupply, but it just continued to be where it was, but they just couldn't justify this price relative to the physical. Yet we had all these violent, violent swings in the market, and it was quite horrible for a number of uh, participants. And actually, to the extent where some of the public majors came out and, and pretty much uh, admitted to it, you know, won as much as a billion dollar loss. Um, and this is, you know, these are, these are, sophisticated traders who have a lot of physical information ultimately they're susceptible to a speculative bubble so i think that was a really interesting one but um i think more um kind of topical at the moment is uh the imo regulation so that's coming in 2020 it's only around the corner now and um the kind of open interest and the well the speculative open interest on what was going to happen or the actual impact on swaps um and the, the specific price action specific products that 
though the first movers started to move in early 2018 and it's been so much has happened in the cal 20 contracts since even though of course nothing's traded in the physical so if you look at the graphs of some of these contracts gas uh, cal 20 gas oil crack which is the gas oil versus brent the cal 20 brent versus dubai the european crude versus the uh, middle eastern crude benchmarks and also just the marine dissolute fuel uh, benchmark they're all followed these trajectories that are very very classic speculative bubbles um, had a really um, interesting question to me when I was in APEC, the uh, kind of industry event in uh, Singapore for oil. And again, this is what makes swaps in particular um, susceptible to speculative bubbles, which I haven't mentioned yet. So he said, what I don't understand, though, is you're saying that, you know, everyone's long this uh, gas oil crack in the Cal 20. So the gas oil Brent versus, uh, sorry, gas oil versus Brent. But if there's that many buyers, there must be a big seller. I said, well, this is the thing, right? <laughs> when you have the swaps market, a lot of the contracts, or all of the contracts are essentially derived from benchmarks. And you know, you can look at our pricing sheets and everyone's pricing sheets, they ultimately all revert back to Brent crude futures. And then you have differentials that take you from there and to different regions and to different times, all, all the connected contracts and differentials. Um, so when you're saying, okay, so give me a price for Cal 20 uh, gas oil crack. Uh, give me an offer. They say, okay, fine, I'll give you an offer as a market maker, let's say. And, you know, Onyx, well aware of this trade. And um, we say, okay, fine, we'll provide you a price. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're not going to hold on to that price. We're not going to hold on to that trade and just be short Cal 20 gas oil cracks. We're market makers. We're not really directional traders. We trade the momentum, the flows, and the dislocations in the market. So... What we're going to do is we're going to offer that price relative to a uh, value in the, somewhere else in the rest of the curve. So with gas oil cracks, you know, it's, it's a very common contract for refiners to hedge. And so typically you'll sell it against um, refinery flow in, in the front of the curve. So you say, OK, buy off the refiners in the front, uh, sell the gas oil crack in the back. And now I have on a position where I'm long front to back crack boxes. So when you're in that trade, you now have risk that is essentially... Uh, long gas oil time spreads and short rent spreads and they're their own independent market they have people trading those for completely different reasons so there's refiners in the front the spec collectors in the back then the time spreads the structural players people trading around their storage etc etc so a market maker is able to link all these things together to provide liquidity so actually what ends up happening is there's so many people long but there's actually no one short because the market makers have made themselves delta neutral by stripping out the contracts against other contracts around the curve and that's how we provide liquidity um, and ultimately that leaves a scenario where yes the, the market makers have those trades on their book but they have it offset against other things so all that's happened is you just have one way directional uh, kind of a one way flow and in this example what led to a speculative bubble so we started off around plus $16 per barrel roughly in the Cal 20 there were some early movers early adopters and then, the, as, as you can expect, someone said, well, this must be bullish gas oil. Okay, whether that's true or not is, is not really the point. It's That was what was talked, and it was all speculation. There was no proof in the physical yet because it was so far deferred, and there was no evidence to what really was going to happen. So we had a situation where the whole Cal 20, we had very violent price action, 16 to plus 20, all the way back down to 15 as when we got to year end there was talk of a lot of hedge funds having to stop out for their year end but in, in general 
no, no one wanted, no one who was expected to be long expected to be to see that. And I think the majority of the reason, or the main reason, is a spectative bubble. It's since kind of come back again, and we're kind of doing something very similar. But it just shows it's happening all the time. Again, exactly the same thing in Cal 20, Brent Dubai. Someone decided it was very bullish, Brent Dubai. Um, again, not really based on anything other than theory and a hypothesis. But then that's how the oil market and the oil swap market tends to operate. You know, they catch wind of something and people don't like making decisions for themselves. And ultimately, a crowd and a herd forms. And if you look at the price action in Cal 20 throughout uh, 2018 and early 2019, we had a big rally and then a big washout. And a lot of people lost a lot of money. Um, and this just goes to show um, how kind of fallible the market is and, con- and continues to be. So, you know, this has kind of been and done, I'd say, the, the Cal 20 stuff. And, but we still have, you know, quite considerable open interest. And I guess people who are wanting to take it all the way, wanting to see it price out and wanting to, to maximize the kind of um, impact that IMO is allegedly going to have, But if you look at the marine dissolute fuel in particular, we're going to talk about this uh, in the next podcast, but it is very um, kind of worrying why that price has done what it's done and how it's not a very developed contract. It's only just been released. And again, the price action is very similar to a Spectre bubble and it could be a lot of danger ahead. Um, And ultimately, it's going to be decided by the purchasing power of the end users, but we will get to that. Uh, I think I'll leave it there. Thanks very much for listening. And um, as always, uh, you know, we just want to point to the fact that Onyx Insight is all about, you know, this kind of thing, making people aware of what's going on, our kind of observations directly from the trading floor as market makers who are seeing a considerable amount of flow. Uh, the advisory team is is pulling this information together, providing reports, analysis and, and WhatsApp updates uh, for this. So you can get a free trial just by going on the website. Um, onyxcapitaladvisory.com you can email us at insight at onyxcapitaladvisory.com and uh, thank you very much for listening and any questions just give us an email thanks very much